Our scripture reading is found in 12th chapter of the book of Acts. And uh, we will give attention to the uh, public reading of God's uh, holy scripture in the first uh, 17 verses. So again, let us hear the word of the Lord. About that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. That was during the days of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and roused him, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. He went out and continued to follow, and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, uh, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. They went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where there were many gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in the front of the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind, but she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Well, let's uh, have an occasion of uh, prayer for the needs of the saints uh, before we uh, give attention to the exposition of the text. Uh, Our Father, we are uh, gathered together as uh, thy people, uh, based... uh, on the merits of our great and only Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And we ask thy favors, Lord, upon us, based upon the merits of our Savior. And that in thy mercies, thou would smile upon us uh, in light of the vagaries of the reality that we are fallen, even though redeemed, uh, even though being sanctified by the great Spirit, 
Uh, we struggle with uh, sin, uh, and we ask uh, for deliverance, and uh, in particular that thou would hasten the day that the Lord Jesus would come, and that the creation would be made new, and that we would be changed and made uh, totally glorified, uh, as is our great Savior. Uh, we uh, pray, Lord, for those of our number who are uh, ill, and uh, we ask uh, thy healing to be upon them. And remind all of us in thy good grace that Christ is the ultimate healer. We pray for our youth, uh, that the seriousness of the faith would be their present inheritance. And awaken them to the reality that we live in a profoundly evil age, and that God is our deliverer. We pray, Lord, for all who are students, that they would long for the graduation of the sons of God. Hasten that day, Lord. We know that the creation groans for the coming of the Savior. We ask our Father for all of our families, for love and for kindness to prevail. Keep us ever mindful of the great promises of God that adhere to us May they encourage and strengthen us. We pray for our daily bread, that we might care for our families and provide for the future, but above all, that we might know for certain that our sovereign God holds the epochs and the times and rulers in his hand. We pray, Lord, for our civil governors, that they would rule in such a way that the church would prosper, for the wicked to slip away, for all in authority that they would grasp the terrifying reality that one day they will give an account. And Lord, for all the evil that seems to be so present, restrain it by thy sovereign power that the church in peace might advance thy beloved kingdom. Uh, bless, Lord, those in particular who uh, serve our country in the military and on police roles. Keep them especially safe, and may their labors adhere to the advance of the church. And now, Lord, that thou wouldst turn our thoughts and affections to the Scriptures, and may the Great Spirit prosper spiritually, and may the beauty of thy holiness wash over us in spiritual blessings that we might be equipped for every good work. And uh, these things we ask in the name of our great and only Redeemer, uh, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. Our, our text this morning is a timely reminder that uh, the church uh, faces perpetual threats. Uh, and it's important that the church knows how to respond, and this uh, text is one such response, even though it links us to many uh, proper responses to the threats of the church. Uh, it also contains a beautiful picture of uh, the divine promises to deliver us. Very succinctly, our text is that the church is persecuted, it prays and God delivers. So let's begin in verses 1 to 4 with uh, the persecution. As I've stated, uh, the church is persecuted. I would remind you that the church is always being persecuted. 
forward-looking in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, we read, uh, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. The form of the kingdom here is the futuristic form, the final form of the kingdom, and we must go through tribulations uh, to uh, enter the final form of the kingdom and the coming of the Lord. Uh, it's just simply a, another text among countless uh, that the church is always undergoing persecutions. Uh, the particular threat here is from uh, civil government uh, that we know eventually unites itself uh, from uh, false religion. So Herod arrests uh, some uh, in verse 1 with the particular purpose to mistreat them. That's a very interesting verb because it is used in Acts chapter 7 and verses 6 19 of Pharaoh mistreating uh, the children of Israel. So Acts uh, chapter 7 verse 6, uh, but God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be aliens in a foreign land and they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. Uh, mistreated, of course, by Pharaoh, uh, Egypt. It occurs again in verse 19, same chapter, Acts chapter 7. Uh, There's he who took shrewd advantage of our race, referencing Pharaoh, and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants uh, and they would not survive. So there's a parallel, I think, verbally to Pharaoh. Herod, uh, as all civil rulers who uh, seek to mistreat the church, uh, are parallel to Pharaoh and his uh, evil desires to destroy the children of Israel. Uh, in this case, he kills James the Apostle with the sword. I presume that he, he thinks that if he can kill the leadership, the church will simply fade. Uh, and again, this may be another parallel to Pharaoh. A uh, couple of reasons in uh, Exodus uh, chapter 18 and verse 4, uh, Moses uh, speaks of uh, the actions of Pharaoh. Uh, the God of my father was my help. Again, Moses is speaking. And delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So civil government oftentimes uh, uh, seeks uh, to use the sword for evil. It has the sword but it ought not use it to uh, persecute the people of God for evil. And so again, I think that uh, Herod, in this case, is uh, in a long, tragic line of many pharaohs who seek to mistreat the church. There's another parallel here with uh, Pharaoh, and that is the time, of the time of the arrest, it's... Uh, the Feast of the Passover. And by the way, that's exactly the timing of the rest of uh, our, our Savior, uh, whose namesake, this Pharaoh, whose namesake, another Herod, killed the Baptist and was complicit in the crucifixion of our Savior. So, 
again, the people of God are being persecuted. Because it pleased the Jews, Herod arrests Peter with the intention of killing him too. Uh, Sixteen soldiers are assigned to uh, guard him, uh, four during uh, each of the four watches of uh, the day. Peter's chained to two of them. Seems highly unlikely that he uh, could escape. And so we need to remember that uh, uh, it's impossible for him to escape. There's also something else we should remember, and that is that uh, Christians are imprisoned all over the world, different lands. Uh, We should remember that and uh, pray for them, ask God to deliver them. Uh, I once took a a German uh, course. Uh, The professor was uh, native to Germany, and she once told the story that her father lived in East Germany and was denied any career advancement due to his association with the Lutheran Church. Just another form of persecution. There's always persecution. Think about it. How would you like to graduate from school, whatever school it might be, and uh, they search your records, and because of your association with Grace Bible Church, they say, well, this is your starting job and your ending job. You will never advance, never advance. Things like that occur, ladies and gentlemen, all over the world. We should be so thankful uh, because of God's blessings to us. But again, uh, persecutions break out upon the church all over the world. I once remember reading a book about the uh, Soviet secret police. They came across the Reformed Baptist father. They did not like what he was doing because he was faithful to the Lord, faithful to the Scriptures. He was faithful to his four daughters, so they took his four daughters and uh, sent them to the four corners of the kingdom. Persecution always occurring, different forms and different fashions. I'm just simply suggesting that the times are always dangerous. Uh, The theology, and this is, I think, the more telling point, the theology is that Jesus inaugurates the end-time tribulation in his faithful service and crucifixion. It continues uh, today in different forms and intensities. Let's remind ourselves of a different form that perhaps is very present in our own country. Uh, Verses 1 to 4 is a physical form where civil government uses the sword improperly. Uh, And by the way, God will judge Herod. We'll learn of that, uh, the Lord willing, uh, in our next meeting as a reminder that he will judge all civil rulers for misusing the sword. Uh, But there is uh, spiritual persecution that is an analog or a parallel or perhaps another form of tribulation that I would contend it's much more more dangerous than the sword. Uh, This form of persecution by false teachers and deceivers that enter the church. Uh, in, my, in my view, uh, uh, acts of deception, uh, the attempt to deceive the people of God is an act of war. Uh, false teaching is a spiritual warfare. Men who seek to deceive uh, are engaging in acts of war. Let me give you a historical answer of deception on the battlefield. 
that really is analogous to deception within the church. Perhaps the greatest act of deception that has uh, ever occurred uh, in terms of physical warfare uh, was uh, conducted by the Allies against uh, Adolf Hitler. Uh, the, the act was called Operation Fortitude. And the entire intent of the deception operation was to deceive Adolf Hitler into thinking that the invasion would occur at the Pas de Calais and not Normandy. Initially, Hitler thought it was going to occur at Normandy. And that's what hatched the entire deception operation, to get him to think that it was going to occur at Calais. It's very important because the Allies are going to land uh, with roughly nine divisions, three airborne, six infantry. And Hitler had in his immediate theater uh, a number of divisions. Really, if he, if he called on the divisions in the Low Countries, he could have amassed 60 divisions against nine. Who do you think would have won that war? Uh, I would contend to you that had Operation Fortitude not been successful, they would have never gotten off the beach. In fact, at Calais, the 15th German Army was kept there because he was so deceived. I'm just simply suggesting to you that that's a physical act of deception on the field of battle. But spiritually, it's occurring in the church every day. Uh, and it's profoundly dangerous. Let's look at uh, some examples of this from uh, really the uh, archetype of deception uh, perhaps uh, because it's an eschatological picture as well in Daniel chapter 11. The, uh, the text in verses 31 and 32 is a reference to Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, and we read in 1131, and forces from men will arise and he will desecrate the sanctuary. And by smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly towards the covenant, uh, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. So Antiochus comes to the people of God and he deceives them with smooth, smooth words. Smooth words. He's going to trick them with propaganda and smooth words. And the phrase, uh, those who act wickedly towards the covenant, is a reference to those in the covenant community that he has deceived. So his deception operation uh, is partially successful. Thank God only partially. Uh, he seeks to seduce God's people with soft words into becoming lawlessness and forsaking their covenant with God. He tells them what they want to hear and uh, takes authority contrary to the Scripture. Uh, I remind you that soft words lead to soft people. And soft people are easily turned. And that's exactly what happens in Daniel chapter 11. And when soft words uh, fail, he turns to violence, and thus the phrase, the desecration of the sanctuary. Uh, as you know, Antiochus uh, built an altar to Zeus in the Holy of Holies and sacrificed a pig on it, desecrating it. 
This, by the way, has an, anal has an analogy in Genesis chapter 3. Think about it. The serpent, who's an arch deceiver, comes into the garden sanctuary and deceives Adam and Eve by using soft words and changing the word of God. Operation Fortitude at its finest in the life of the church uh, in the Garden of Eden. And that repeats itself over and over and over again in the scriptures, not just with Antiochus, uh, but uh, uh, think about Titus. 70 AD, he places Roman standards in the Holy of Holies. The greater fulfillment, of course, is who? the future Antichrist that's yet to come, who is a type of Titus, who is a type of Antiochus Epiphanes, who is a type of the great serpent who comes into the garden sanctuary to desecrate it, who comes into the church to desecrate it. So we read of uh, the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians 2.4. He takes his seat in the temple of God. Just like the serpent came into the garden sanctuary in Genesis 3, Antiochus comes and takes his seat in the temple of God. It's a future event. I believe the temple of God is a reference to the church. Uh, Greg Beale in his uh, uh, wonderful book uh, on the temple says the phrase the temple of God is found uh, ten other times in the New Testament outside of this text, and nine out of the ten times is a reference to the church. For example, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says to the church at Corinth, you are the temple of God. Just means that uh, Antichrist is always coming into the temple of God to desecrate it. Uh, and notice what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.7. Antichrist, I believe, is a future event that has yet to occur. But there's a present event that Paul speaks of in 2 Thessalonians 2.7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Future danger, but present danger. Mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So it's a reminder that tribulation takes many forms. Acts 12, it's a sword. All throughout the scriptures, certainly it's false teachers and deceivers driven by our arch enemy, the great deceiver himself, uh, the serpent. Uh, this is uh, occurring today and will continue to occur until Christ comes to rescue his church. When the future and final form of Antichrist tries to destroy uh, the people of God. But the point of his destruction has already begun in false teachers and deceivers. Uh, let's think about this in terms of uh, Johannine epistles, 1 John. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. John says, children, it's the last hour. The last hour. It's a great argument in the church today is the tribulation now or future. Many, many people, particularly in Oklahoma, contend that it's, uh, the church won't go through the tribulation. 
it's a yet future event. We escape it all. Uh, we won't go through tribulation. Uh, John is taking a different point. He said, little children, he's speaking to his churches. He says, it's the last hour. Uh, probably uh, a reference to the Greek translation of the Old Testament in uh, Daniel chapter 12, which speaks of a time of incredible tribulation. And the Greek translation uses the word hour. But Luke is just as clear. Turn with me, if you would, in Acts chapter 2 and uh, verse 17. I'm going to read verse 16 to make sure we know the context. For this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. In other words, what's occurring in Acts chapter 2 was prophesied by Joel. Joel is speaking of future events. This is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Now look at verse 17. And it shall be in the last days. It's an affirmation that the last days have begun. If the last days have begun, every form of the last days have begun, even the end time tribulation. We're in them. Christ inaugurated them in his crucifixion. It's a reminder that we live in an age of incredible peril. The final days have begun. They're running their course. Deceivers and false teachers will conduct their own Operation Fortitude to try to deceive the people of God. Great danger. Uh, but notice, notice what John says coming, coming back to 1 John 2.18. Children, it's the last hour, or the last days, if you will. And just as you heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have arisen. For this we know that it is the last hour. So John is just simply telling us that the last days or the last hour has begun. Uh, and the forerunner to the literal Antichrist is already present in the church trying to desecrate the sanctuary. If you turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus uh, is not from God, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming. John is saying it's future. Antichrist is going to come. Take his seat in the sanctuary to desecrate it, uh, to harm the people of God. But notice what John says. You've heard that Antichrist is coming, but now is already in the world. His advance guard is already in the world in false teachers and deceivers, setting the condition for the final attempt to harm the church physically and spiritually in deception. Already occurring already present, if you will. A great reminder uh, the dangerous age in which we live. Uh, Acts 12, it's physical persecution with a sword. Uh, we could look at the sword used by civil governors in Saudi Arabia against the church, or North Korea, or China, I'm just simply suggesting to you that the form of tribulation uh, for the American church is the incredible presence of deceivers who come into the sanctuary uh, with soft words to tell people what they want to hear, to get them to uh, turn away and become lawlessness, 
and live lives that are contrary to the Word of God, all the while proclaiming that they belong to God and profess to be His. But by their theology and their conduct, uh, they give uh, radical uh, proof of the reality that they've been deceived. It's an incredible, powerful form of persecution. In my own mind, much, much more dangerous than the sword. But that's the reality of the book of Acts. Our Lord's crucifixion inaugurates the final form of the tribulation, begins it. The coming of the Spirit is a testimony that we're in the last days and that we should be all the more careful as the people of God. Well, so the church is persecuted, uh, verses 1 to 4, and now there's a provision for the threat, verse 5. What does the church do? It prays. Uh, it's exactly uh, the point uh, that they uh, use one of the provisions that God has given to them. Uh, fervent prayer was being made by the church to God. The church prays. Uh, it's one of the means that God has given to us in the perilous times in which we live, that we should pray. We should pray fervently to God for deliverance, for God to restrain evil, for God to keep us true to the faith, lest we be swept away by a flood of uh, words of deception. Uh, the beautiful picture of this is, is there not in uh, Daniel chapter 6. Uh, the idolaters at the uh, court of Nebuchadnezzar uh, trick Nebuchadnezzar and get him to sign a decree that uh, uh, you could not to pray to any other god but to Nebuchadnezzar and his gods. But what does Daniel do? He does exactly what they're doing in verse 5 of Acts chapter 12. Let me read the text to you. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, beautiful picture of a way that you and I are to respond in evil days. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chambers, he had windows open towards Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. He opens the windows, he goes outside, and he kneels and prays so all could see him. He's doing exactly what the church in Acts chapter 12 is doing. He's doing what we should be doing, praying that God would restrain evil, that God would protect us. I love the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus teaches us to pray. We should pray that all the time. So we pray. One of the means that God's given us in response to uh, the end-time tribulation that we are in today in America. We also resist. Uh, let's, uh, let's look at the form of resistance. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 16. The Apostle Paul says, Romans chapter 16, verse 17, now... I urge you, brethren, keep an eye on those who cause dissension and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. Notice, be diligent. Pay attention to what's going on. 
Turn away from false teachers and those who deceive. Notice verse 18. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. Now notice what follows. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. That's a parallel to Antiochus Epiphanes and his smooth words in Daniel 11. It's an evidence that uh, I think Paul is relying on Daniel 11. Uh, Deceivers come into the church and use smooth words uh, to deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. An act of deception. Operation fortitude in the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ. How do we respond? Well, we pray. We resist. We turn away from such men. Another way we respond is uh, 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word, Paul says. In season and out of season, preach the word. Because that's the ultimate protection uh, that we can use in the life of the church. Thank God it's not our only ultimate protector, but it's ultimate protection. We preach the word. Many churches today are so given to liturgy and homilies, uh, you barely any time for the word. (laughs) The hour is already gone. We should preach the word of God. We pray, we resist, we preach the word of God. We also uh, are to uh, persevere in the faith. Apostle Paul, Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. With this in view, be on the alert. With all perseverance, and petition for the saints, praying for one another, persevering in the faith. It's my own conviction that uh, one of the uh, most maltreated doctrines of all the Scripture is a doctrine of perseverance. You hardly ever hear it proclaimed. In fact, I've read of uh, theologians say you don't have to persevere. It's good if you do, but you don't have to. You just uh, live your life uh, however you want to, and uh, you don't have to persevere. Uh, you're you're hard pressed to find that attitude in the New Testament. Uh, in fact, there's a very pointed form of it. Uh, if you would turn uh, the last book of the Bible, very pointed form, Revel- uh, Revelation 13. The church is going through tribulation. Revelation 13. How how are they to respond? Uh, when they're arrested and thrown into jail and threatened by civil rulers with the sword. John tells us, Revelation 13, if anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he must go. Uh, In other words, it's a reference to those who refuse to deny their faith. If you're going to be taken captive because you won't deny your faith, then uh, John is saying to captivity you must go. You cannot deny your faith because of the exigencies of the time. gets worse. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Now notice the phrase, here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. We persevere regardless of the times. When we face evil civil governors, as the church, for example, in China, or we face Operation Fortitude in the life of the church, with smooth words that come in to desecrate the sanctuary. We persevere. 
we hold fast our faith in Jesus Christ. That's active resistance. Ephesians 6, we also take up the full armor of God that we may be able to resist in an evil day. Having done everything, Paul says, to stand firm. We have to stand our ground. That's active resistance. We cannot fall prey to Operation Fortitude. We must resist and persevere in the faith. Again, the church is persecuted. It prays. Uh, we pray among many other things. Uh, but we uh, refuse to deny our faith. We persevere in the faith of Jesus. What occurs in uh, Acts 12 is deliverance. So think about it, the chain of events, persecution, there's a provision in prayer, and now there's going to be deliverance. Verses 6 to 17, uh, Acts chapter 12. Uh, this is a promise of God. God promises to deliver his people. Uh, the particular form here is visible. It's no less real in our lives. I, I, I speculate here. I, I sometimes think when we go to heaven, uh, we'll, we'll learn of the incredible ways that God has delivered us throughout our lives. God's gracious provision to his saints. Uh, very interesting, there's a mysterious form of deliverance, though, here, is there not? Think about the sovereignty of God. One of the apostles is killed. Another apostle uh, breaks out of jail. What's the difference? The mysteries of the providence of God. Uh, I will tell you, of course, that uh, James was delivered. For the moment he lost his head, his spirit went to heaven. That's a great form of deliverance, is it not? Uh, that's why we can persevere in the faith in times of tribulation. For even if civil government kills us, we will go to be with the Lord. Nothing can stop it. Satan cannot keep us uh, from going to the Lord. The Apostle Paul says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. The greatest deliverance of all time. In fact, the Apostle Paul, uh, Philippians 1, 6 and 7, is gain. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Why is it gain? Because when you die as a Christian, you immediately go to be with the Lord. But in this case, it's a different form of deliverance. An angel is dispatched. Acts 12, verse 7. Behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and roused him, saying, get up quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. I think it's very noteworthy to me that Peter is sleeping. If you knew where you were going to die, would you be sleeping? <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be, but I think it's just a marvelous picture that the Apostle Peter knew that God was sovereign, that God would sort it out. He was in a place where he had absolutely no control whatsoever, and he left it in God's hands. It's a great picture of faith that highlights, I think, resting in the sovereignty of God who will always deliver his people regardless of the form that it takes. And you should know that in your own life. God will always deliver you. 
This is God's sovereignty. It's our comfort in all of the vagaries that we confront. And we're going to face them uh, because we live in evil days in the last hour, in the last days. Uh, I'm very fond of the words of John Calvin who once said, ignorance of the sovereignty of God is the source of much anxiety. Take comfort like Peter asleep. The angel awakens him. The chains fall off. I can only presume or speculate that the guards are uh, transfixed and unable to respond. They're frozen by the power of God. Because of what it's going to mean to them if Peter escapes, it's going to cost them their lives. Maybe they were drawing for their swords, but they can't get at them. It's a great picture of the sovereignty of God. If God wants to deliver Peter by breaking him out of jail, nothing can get in his way. Very interesting to me, he's told to dress. <laughs> he follows the angel through subsequent security checkpoints. And then, I love the text, the gate opens by itself. Yeah, really. The gate just opens by itself. Uh, Peter's released. Deliverance occurs repeatedly in the life of every true Christian, though perhaps not in such a visible form. Uh, think about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 25. A beautiful picture. Nebuchadnezzar you know, looks into the fiery furnace and uh, what do we read? Uh, walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, there were four men. Wait a minute. Three were put in the furnace. How can there be four? An angel of the Lord was dispatched to preserve and protect them. It's just like the angel in Acts chapter 12. Uh, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 22. 20, pardon me, 22. You know, he's thrown into the lion's den. And the angel of the Lord comes and shuts the mouth of the lion. A great reminder. Uh, Daniel confesses, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me. God, God preserves his own, delivers them, protects them. The providence of God, the sovereignty of God. Think about it. Persecution, uh, the church lays holes of provisions to respond in prayer and many other forms. God delivers. He always delivers. Uh, my, uh, uh, my favorite is uh, uh, Psalm 91. You want to turn to this uh, great psalm. 91st Psalm. It's almost a parallel to Psalm 34. Remember the text we read as we opened our worship service? The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. You fear the Lord, the angels are watching over you. Dispatched by the heavenly governor, God himself, to protect the people of God. Yeah. Notice Psalm 91.11, pardon me. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And they will bear you up in their hands. I believe the psalmist is a soldier. He's facing the incredible danger of the battlefield. But he recounts his faith in God over and over and over again. He finds his safety and comfort in God. Uh, and one of the means that God will use to protect them is angels will be dispatched to see him safely through. Uh, and then 
Uh, God answers the faith of the, of the psalmist beginning in verse 14. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high. Verse 15, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Verse 16, with a long life I will satisfy him. Seven I wills of God given to the man of faith in a time of danger. But that's your psalm. That psalm belongs as much to you as it does to the psalmist. And you find your hope and comfort and safety in the God of Scripture and the God of Heaven. Those I wills become your inheritance in your daily life. That God will deliver. He delivered James. He delivered Peter. He will always deliver those who fear him. It's a great God that we worship and serve. And for us as well, God affects our deliverance from deception by angelic forces and spirit. Let's look at this on a couple of different occasions. Uh, 1 John First uh, John chapter 2. You're probably saying, how, how can I survive the deceptive power of, uh, of Satan himself and the words he will flood after me? First uh, John chapter 2, verse 20. But we have an anointing from the Holy One. The Spirit of God's anointed us. That's, that's how we're protected. Yes, we get angels, but we also get the Spirit. Uh, verse 27, and as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. Uh, chapter 4, verse 4. You are from God, little children, have overcome him, because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. The Spirit lives in you. He is greater than Satan. He's your ultimate protector. If it wasn't for the Spirit or angels, you would long since have been swept away. Great reminder of God's goodness. Uh, we know from the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 1, that the Spirit seals us as a pledge of our final redemption. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. Uh, God not only promises to deliver us, He gives us the present reality of the Spirit in our hearts, who seals us, who protects us. Uh, to make sure that we arrive safely at our ultimate destination. So think about Acts 12. Persecution, provision to pray, deliverance. It applies to all of us. We're persecuted in the true church uh, through false teachers and deceptive words. Who knows? Someday there may be a Herod that arises in the United States of America who will use the sword to threaten us. So be it. Uh, we, we must uh, persevere, lay hold of all the means that uh, we have studied this morning uh, and uh, know that God for sure will not forget us. He will deliver us. And so, ladies and gentlemen, it's a reminder of this text that uh, God dispatches his angels to protect his own. Uh, and that none will be lost. 
Uh, I love, as you know, the text of Daniel 12, verse 1. Everyone whose name has been written in the book will be rescued. It cannot not happen. We will be rescued. Text is a reference to the great Archangel Michael, uh, who dispatches uh, his own forces to protect the people of God. Uh, so God is with us in spirit, with angels, in the hedges of the true church. And of course, most beautifully, in our position in Jesus Christ. John 6, verse 39. Of all that the Father has given me, I lose none, but will raise him up on the last day. The final, most beautiful form of deliverance based upon the work of our Savior. If you do not know him, you're in a bad way. You will be swept away ultimately. You will not be able to resist the power of deception of soft words. You will buy them lock, stock, and barrel. It's a great appeal to come to Christ, to sue for peace, to believe and to hope in him, and to immediately receive the anointing of the Spirit to be sealed forever. And to have the promise that you too will enter eternal life. Our deliverance, to be sure, uh, may God so encourage us with his great promises.